Amen. What a song. I mean, what a powerful song. Mighty Savior lifted high. King forever glorified. Isn't it amazing? That same power that lives within us. So many of us are weak in our own walk, but we have power in the name of Jesus. You know, today as, we, as I have been preaching on this series on uh, God's stories and kind of taking uh, different stories from the scriptures and bringing them to life and making them real, it's taken me kind of on a little bit of a journey on my own life of, you know, what are some really cool characteristics and characters of of the word and you know so it's been fun to be able to go through Solomon and some of the the awesome characters last week we talked about his wealth his wisdom and living what he felt was a worthless life and today if you would please turn in your bible to have a coke I didn't say have a coke it's have a cook some people say have a cuck have a cook have a Coke. It doesn't really matter. And however it comes out today, I'll, you'll hear it. But it's Habakkuk. So I just thought I would, would just kind of throw that in there as a little bit of a funny. And for those that were falling asleep during that same power, uh, you need some power this morning. So maybe it'll just change a little bit of uh, my message, right? I'm just teasing. So here's the thing, because I'm going to just dive right in, because I believe that there's so much to be said today in regard to the Word of God. Today's message is called, Living by Faith When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Living by faith when life doesn't make sense. When we look around and we see so much evil and apparent injustice, how does a person live by faith? I think that's probably the number one question in Christianity. We face hardship, we face shame, we face death, and yet we ask the question, how can this make sense to me? I know in my own life, going through hardship, or you know, you think you're going down this road and this path and it seems glorious and it's smooth and you know, it's almost like our asphalt. It's been great having the asphalt redone around here, but I kind of messed up some of you that want to think it's the uh, Daytona 500 or Indianapolis 500. I said, don't add one bump, we're adding three. That's to keep all you speed. I didn't say demons. I know the devil's in you when you're speeding up and down through here, but uh, it's to bring you down just a little bit, slow down, appreciate the cruise into the church and outside, you know, I mean, leaving the church. But anyhow, we get caught up sometimes in our own life of having that smooth ride and that smooth trip, and it's, you're just sailing, and then you hit a bump, and things and hardship become difficult in your life. Well, in Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now I want you to go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. And it says this, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. We're not talking heels, high hills, all right? Be careful now. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. I could tell you all are tired today. I'm trying to throw out these little things, and you're looking at me like, preacher, either turn down the air, or you're going to have to do cartwheels up here, because we are exhausted from yesterday. You know, 
cartwheel. No, I'm not going to do a cartwheel, honey. You don't want to see me do a cartwheel, especially at 52. It could be very, very difficult. Have you ever looked around and seen the problems, the injustice, the evil in this world and wonder what God is doing? We can look at the world in general. We have governments using chemical weapons against their own people. We're now experiencing wars and rumors of wars. Russia, Ukraine. Every weekend we see violence and we see killings in our own backyards of Akron and Cleveland, Ohio. Where is the justice? Why isn't God acting? And how long will this continue? Or we may look at our own lives. Maybe we are facing what seems to us to be injustices or evil in workplaces or at our schools or in our neighborhoods or maybe even our own families. We may see our coworkers stab others in the back to their bosses and seemingly benefit while those who do right suffer. We hear that often. We see the bullies at school not getting in trouble while the bullied are so distraught that they are forced to leave school and sometimes even harm themselves or even kill themselves. We see all of this seeming evil and injustice going on. And sometimes it is so hard to take that we may feel like screaming because it doesn't seem to make sense to us that there is a God and why does he allow this? We may ask, where are you, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Aren't you a good God? Where is the justice? Maybe you are here today and have thought those same things more than once. Well, the fact is that some of God's own prophets have not only wondered about these things, but have actually asked those questions in these pages of Scripture. Habakkuk is found just a few short books before the New Testament. And even though it's only a few short chapters, I believe there's a lot to be said in just Habakkuk's writings. Habakkuk is writing at a time during the divided kingdom of Israel, and he was a prophet of Judah, and there was much sin in Judah. People paid no attention to God and did as they pleased, even sacrificing their own children to pagan gods. So Habakkuk is dismayed by all the sin that is occurring in the land, and he cries out complaining to God about it. And he says in the beginning of the chapter... In verses, or in chapter 1, verse 2, I know we've already read verse 1, but verse 2 it says this, How long, O Lord, how long shall I cry, eat, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds, so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk is asking the same questions of God that perhaps some of us here have also asked. Where are you, God, in the midst of all of this evil? Where are you in the midst of all this injustice? How long, 
until you act. Where are you? Probably the number one question that people ask me. Why did this happen? Where is he? Why me? Why not them? We get this question often, and we understand that even in Habakkuk's life, it appears that God is doing nothing. But even as Habakkuk complains to God about his seeming inaction, God responds to Habakkuk. Now, it is not too often that God so clearly responds to us in our questioning. And I think that there is a reason for that. The reason being is that the answer to our questions may be even further beyond our understanding. Does that make sense? We don't know what God's doing. He's right in our life. If he says you've been fearfully and wonderfully made, he said you're a masterpiece. And we can't always understand what God is doing, but we have to trust in the process. Habakkuk is going to feel this way about the answer God gives him. And we know that Habakkuk is complaining to God about all of this. But I want us to continue to, to continue in Habakkuk and see what the answer God gives to Habakkuk about his complaint about the violence, about the sin that is going on among God's people, the people of Judah. I'm, I'm going to go into this verse, but I'm going to give you a little bit more thought because I believe the Holy Spirit is leading this way. You know, I think that we're in a time where, you know, I don't know for some of you. So my mom got saved at a young age, well, a later age in life, but I got saved at nine. So in life, many of us were raised with Jesus. You know, we had that influence as a family. And I'm learning something probably where it's become more personal for me. And that's why I said today when we were singing Friend of God, how is Jesus personal for you? Because Habakkuk, he might be the prophet and he might be called. You know, people always think that, you know, the, the pastor, you know, he, he's, yes, he's supposed to be called. He's supposed to be sold out and separated. But we're still sinners. We still make mistakes. We show people grace. God shows us grace. We show you grace. But the church oftentimes doesn't show the pastor grace. They're condemning. And they'll put them down. You know, and, and our families can be very difficult as well. And they can put you down too. And they can think that, you know, they put you on this pedestal because they think that this is who you are or maybe what you should be. Well, let me just switch that around. You need to be the same way. We're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're all called to do the work of the Lord. Each and every one of us. Don't think that my calling is greater than your calling because you need to be a witness. You need to let people know that Jesus Christ is alive and that same power can live in you that lives in me, that lives in him, that lives in all of us. But we have a tendency to just sit back and say it's his responsibility or her responsibility when in reality, church, it's our responsibility to show the love and light of Christ. I, my heart kind of went out to Habakkuk. And even this morning I was reading this. Why am I getting emotional over this? Probably because it's like personal for me or something. I don't know. But 
when I look into the scripture and I look into the word, I think, you know, here was a guy who was called the nation of Israel and he's trying to change all these people that, you know, are being influenced by uh, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and all of the other things. And, uh, you know, that the influence of the world is on him and he's feeling, uh, you know, this pressure and this, you know, like you have to be this way, do this way and and, and act like this and be like this and all this pressure. And, you know, it's, it's difficult. It kind of reminds me of Daniel in the lion's den. It also reminds me of Jonah. You know, they're, they're individuals. But isn't it funny how God will always call it that individual? Maybe you're that individual. Maybe you're the one that God's trying to use in your family. Maybe you're the one God's trying to use in your workplace. Maybe you're the one God's trying to use, you know, within your community or your influence. Don't forget who you are and don't forget whose you are. Because the Lord loves you. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Let's look there. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. And we continue. And it says, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. And now let's jump down to verse 11. And it says this. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribes this power to his God. Now watch. Then it describes some of these reasons. They are feared because of their strength, their violence, and they care nothing of anyone but themselves. Sounds like the world today, doesn't it? Hmm. We have an influence that it doesn't matter what you think, Mr. Christian or Miss Christian. They have an agenda and you are going to bow your knee to it. But I know that God was right here, right now in Habakkuk's life saying, no, you need to be sold out and separated. You are a prophet you are my mouthpiece, you're the voice piece, and people are watching everything you do. God closes his response in verse 11 by saying there are guilty men whose own strength is their God. What he is saying to Habakkuk is, I'm going to discipline Judah for their sinfulness, for their violence, and for their injustice. And I'm going to use Babylonians, a people even more ruthless and sinful, to do it. In life was not making sense to Habakkuk before, but it is making less sense to him right now. But how could having a people that are even more sinful come and conquer Israel be justice? How could God, and this was my question, how could God do such a thing? But here's where Habakkuk, he cries out to God again with his complaint. So, Pastor, what are you saying? We're building up to faith here. We're building up saying, okay, God, I need you, and I'm crying out to you. So he cries out to God, God again with this complaint in chapter 1, verse 12. And here's what he says. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. 
Then we look at chapter 2, verse 1, and here's what it says, And I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk comes back to God not understanding how God could use the evil and even more unrighteous than Judah to judge Judah's unfaithfulness. So he complains again and waits for God's response. Worship their power. Worship their people. Bow the knee to some political influences in America today. Now, I don't speak on politics and all that, but I will tell you this, but I do believe that Satan has a stronghold, not just on the United States of America, but I believe he does on the world. And that's why we need to continue to proclaim one nation under God. He says this in his word, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. Why is it all throughout scripture we, saw, we see Israel and they're always just doing what they shouldn't be doing? It's the Old Testament. But yet in the New Testament, we know that we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, but yet God gives us now that freedom. But church, don't forget who we live our life for. We need to be, again, much like the prophet, sold out, separated, and sanctified for him. So we're waiting on God's answer. What is God's answer to him? And it says here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And then in verse 4 it says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so then the Lord goes on. To say that the Babylon, the Babylon will face judgment for their sins. And he lists five specific things. And I'll go through them this morning. That Babylon will face judgment for in the future. But I do want to pause here for just a minute. The righteous will live by faith. The scripture says. The righteous shall live by faith. So I want to talk about this statement that the Lord makes to Habakkuk. In the midst of telling of his judgment that is to come against Babylon, he says, the righteous will live by his faith. The verse is quoted several times in the New Testament, encouraging God's people to have what? Faith in him. This is a great book to talk about what faith really is, because as we see Habakkuk, is in the midst of a great struggle with his faith. So today, I want to ask and try to answer some questions regarding faith is that we will better understand. And if this is truly something that is rational to live by in the midst of a world that doesn't always make sense. So let's start by asking, what is faith? What is faith? We're not talking about faith over here. It's not the lady who sits in the second row. It's not Troy's wife. It's faith. What is faith? What is that faith? The author of Hebrews says this about faith. It says this. Now faith is the substance 
of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You say, Pastor, that's, that's simple. We know that. How can we be more sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see? Is that just blind faith and wishful thinking? Well, that depends on it. It depends what our faith is in. Are you putting your faith in something that is not worthy of your faith? How do you determine if something is worthy of your faith? Faith in what we see. There are many in the world who put their faith in only what they can see. But I will tell you this, and I would argue that their faith is not really in what they can see, but in themselves and in their ability to interpret what they see correctly. Having faith in that is really only having faith in ourselves. And I would argue that having faith in ourselves is really only wishful thinking. So how can we determine where we put our faith? Should we have our faith in God? Much like Habakkuk, I believe that's where he was struggling. Should we have our faith in him not only when we can't see everything, but even when the things we do see don't make sense to us? How many of us ask that question often? Sometimes it just don't make sense. How do we have faith when what we seems to contradict what we believe we know about God? This is what Habakkuk is dealing with, and this is what many of us, I believe, today in our church are dealing with. And I would argue that it is in these situations where the rubber meets the road in regards to the reality, truly, of our faith. It is easy to do what? We all say, I live by faith, right? It's easy to live by faith when we can understand, when we can see it, when we can visualize how things are working. It is much harder to live by faith when we cannot understand what God is doing. About two months ago, I was starting to get, I, I get this like little blur in my one eye over here. And uh, I felt like it was this prescription. I, I don't know if you guys, do you have those transitional sunglasses? It all started after I got those things. And I don't know if it's messing with my, my optical nerve or something, but I've been kind of wearing them less for that reason. And, uh, you know, when, you're, when your faith is skewed or your vision is skewed, the first thing I thought was this. Todd, where's your faith? So if your faith, if you ended up blind, that was my thought that day. If you ended up blind, how would you put together Sunday sermons? How would that look for you? How would you type it out? What would you say? And, and how would your faith increase instead of, yes, I know, I, I get to become sometimes a little bit like, I want to stick to the pulpit. You know, there's a sense of security right here. When God says, listen, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. And so I have to sometimes just say, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit to lead. But I think often we, we find that, you know, our vision gets skewed and our faith is skewed and circumstances, you know, screw us all up. But where is your faith? Faith in someone faith worthy. Faith is someone faith worthy. This is why it is imperative that we know that what or who we place our faith in is faith worthy. When you know that your faith is in something or someone who is, how do we determine it? If someone is worthy of our faith, how do we know that God is worthy of our faith? We ask that question. 
How, how, how can we say, I want to have a relationship with this person, but are they faith-worthy? Can I trust them? Well, yes, I think the number one question is what? By their character. When I know a person's character, I can know if I can trust them without knowing the details of a particular circumstance. So let's ask the question, is God faith-worthy? Is God faith-worthy? Is God's character such that I should have faith in Him even when the life we see is not making any sense to us at all? When life just doesn't seem to make sense. And I believe this morning that the answer is yes. I believe that this answer is yes. It is yes because God has shown Himself to be faithful. God has shown himself to be faithful. When he has said that he is going to do something, what's he do? Does he do it, church? Why don't you look to the person next to you and say, because he does it. We live in a time when we have the privilege to see how God has been faithful, especially to his word. And when we look back in the Old Testament, we can see that God has done what he said he was going to do. Amen? I mean, consider Abraham. Consider Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verses 17 through 21. We realize that it says this, that Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And in verse 20, it says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set time next year. Holy moly, cannoli, that is ludicrous. No more children. That is out of control. Could you imagine? But see where their faith was at. So we see that. I'm going to consider the Messiah, and I won't turn there, but, you know, references in Isaiah chapter 53, Psalms 22. God promised a Messiah to come and bring what? Salvation. And he gave many prophecies about the Messiah, including what? His lineage. We talk about it all through Christmas season, right? In the Advent season. How he would suffer, details surrounding his birth and death, and God fulfilled, the, God fulfilled all of this perfectly in Jesus Christ. So we know there was prophecy that was concealed. And in the New Testament, we see that prophetic message revealed. That's what Habakkuk is really doing here. So we see that we can trust him. And then we consider Israel. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 27, it says this, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth to the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in trouble sometimes. It says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, 
but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. In verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate verse 30 reads then the word of the lord came to jeremiah saying we'll just stop there then the word of the lord god has promised that he would not disperse israel and then gather israel back into a nation we may see that they already are a nation but god made his promise to exile and his promise of regathering well before either happened So I'm going to ask, so one reason that we should have faith in God is that he has proven himself faithful. Did you see the word covenant in there? That's an agreement. He made a covenant. He made a promise. He made an agreement. But God is not only faithful being true to his word, but God has shown himself to be loving. God has shown himself to be loving. Now this is important. Do we want to put our faith in someone who is honest but a tyrant? Probably not. But God is not a tyrant. He has shown his great love for us. And that love has been demonstrated through his mercy, his grace, and we all know because we celebrate it every Good Friday, his sacrifice. Every one of us, every single one of us in this sanctuary knows we have sinned and done wrong things. Yet God has not wiped us out and condemned us to hell for eternity when he could have done that. And he could still do that. But he had mercy on us and has not done that immediately, but has been patient, very patient with mankind. Not wanting that any should perish, but for everyone to come to a knowledge of him under repentance. Even as he has had mercy, not giving us what we deserve, he has also extended what? He's extended his grace to us. The life he desires for us to have could have cost him the life and did cost him the life of his son. What does Romans 5, 8 said? But God demonstrated, God commended his own love toward us. And yet, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did that sacrifice demonstrate his love, but God also has shown himself to be just god has shown himself to be just and through that sacrifice speaking of jesus the lord tells us through paul in romans chapter 3 verse 25 it says this whom god set forth as a propitiation by his blood through the faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance god had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our sin needed to be atoned. Our sin needed to be atoned for because God is just. He couldn't just forget about our sin. So because he is just and loving. Because he is a just and loving God. He paid the price for our sins himself. What did he do? Thus fulfilling his justice. So even when we fail to see justice happening immediately, we need to remember that God is just and God's justice will be accomplished 
either through the blood of his son or to those who fail to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I understand this stuff happens in God's perfect timing. So God is faithful. He's loving and just. But I would argue that for us to put our faith in someone, there needs to be at least one more characteristic. And that is, do they have the ability to do what they say? Do they have the ability to do what they say? Well, God has shown himself to do what? To be powerful. What a great song, that same power. I'm going to tell you all something. It's hard for me to stand still down here. You should have seen me this morning. That song came on and my wife, were going, my wife and I were going through the song list. And I was really trying to get ready. And I went downstairs, got my clothes. I was in the, the spare room putting the clothes on. And I was having a difficult time even getting ready because, you know, when I think, man, mighty Savior lifted high, I can't even, I can't focus right now because all I want to do, I kept stopping, closing my eyes. Because I believe that he is all powerful. And I'm just humbled by the love of Christ. See, I believe that God has the ability to do whatever he wants. And he has demonstrated his power in two ways that we find in Romans 1 so that we can know of his great power. And I won't read all of it this morning, but he demonstrates his power through the resurrection. But in verse 4 it says this, because I'll be winding some things down here. Paul tells us that Jesus, it says this, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of the holiness by the resurrection from the dead, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. We also learn in that same chapter, just a few verses later, that God shows us his power through creation. It says this in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God and God's invisible qualities, it says this, that he has invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God is faithworthy. And he demonstrates his worthiness through his character with what? With his faithfulness. Because he's loving. Because he's just. More importantly, he's powerful. It is truly rational to have faith in the God of the Bible, even when we see things that do not make sense to us. So why do we struggle so much to, and how do we truly live by faith as the Lord wants us to? Well, I will tell you, next few minutes, in those times when we are struggling to live by faith, and wondering what God is truly doing in our lives, when we see so many problems and things we don't understand, I want you to know this, we need to stop focusing on what we don't know. Stop focusing on what we don't know or understand. Stop focusing on what we don't know or don't understand. And start focusing on what we do know. The God who is faithworthy. That is what we see Habakkuk do. I want you to look again at some of the last verses of chapter 1. Even as Habakkuk is still questioning God, he begins to refocus on the God whom he knows in faith is victory. Verse 12, it says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? He recognizes that God is eternal. My God, my Holy One, we will not die. He recognizes God is holy. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. 
He recognizes that God is just and has the power to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. He recognizes God's strength and power and sovereignty. In verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. He recognizes God's purity and holiness. And so in the midst of his not understanding, he begins to focus on what he does know about God. And that is what faith does. It says, I don't understand all that is happening. But this is what I know. I know God. You are faithful to your word. I know God. You are loving. You have shown me that through the great sacrifice of your son, you're very loving. I know you are a just God because you did not let sin go unpunished but atoned for by the blood of your son. And Father God, I know that you are able to accomplish your will by your own right hand and I know your ultimate will is good. Faith, doesn't it all mean that we have to understand everything? That's hard for us, isn't it? In fact, faith means we will not understand or know everything. Faith Faith does mean that we know and trust Him whom our faith is in. And that is what we need to focus on if we're truly going to live by faith. I'm just going to take a moment as I close. So we see in, in chapter 3, and I'm just going to skip ahead, brother. He says this. Let's go pull up verse 2 of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid, O Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In, the, in wrath, remember mercy. We realize that in chapter 3, it is much like the psalm. He's singing a song and he's singing praises. And I'll say this as we wind down and close. Here's a man who was struggling in his faith. Here's a man who starts to pour out a lament and he's crying out and he's saying, you know, God, look at how these people are. Now he's starting to believe and trust that who they are and what they are, and they're never going to change because he was lacking in his faith. I believe, church, and I'm a firm believer of this, that God wants to increase our faith. You're struggling with something today. And he puts you in this place. And he's allowed it to happen to you. I don't know why. I don't, you're here for an appointed reason at this appointed time. But I want you to know that no matter what the circumstances are, He needs you to get down on your knees and He needs you to pray. He needs you to seek His face. We all become complacent. It's like I said in the very beginning. We're, we're cruising down this smooth road until a bump comes in our way. What has God taken you through? What is He putting you through to help you to become a better child of the Most High God. And we have to put our faith and trust in Him. And we have to believe that God is always going to turn things around for His good and ours. We can't have reason for it, but we know it's difficult. And this morning I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to make it personal. 
Are you struggling with your faith, with your faith in the midst of a life that sometimes seems to not make sense? We need to recognize that we often will not be able to make sense of all that is going on, but instead we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, knowing who He really is and that He is faithful to His promises. He is loving and He is just. And that He is completely able by His power to accomplish all that He has said He will do. I'm thankful that we, in our Christian life, have done just that. So, here's where it becomes real. We deal with two things in our humanistic life. Pride and humility. And you have to humble yourself. You know, I've, I've had people say, going to an altar is very uncomfortable for me. Or maybe even just sitting is very uncomfortable for me. Raising my hand is very uncomfortable for me. There's all kinds of things that are uncomfortable for everybody. I think for some people, just kneeling down on your knee is very uncomfortable. Let's be real. But God tells us to bring it to the foot of the cross. God tells us to lay our burdens before him. God says to lay it down and let it go. Sometimes we lack in our faith because we love the power that we have that gives us control over a circumstance or a situation. Maybe you're a young person in here. Maybe you're an older individual. Maybe God's been calling you to surrender. Listen, I don't get any younger. We don't have that spring in the backyard. I'm getting older. Who does God have? He's working things out right now. There is somebody appointed to pastor this church. That's the way I look at it. And I've got to prepare for that day. Whoever that is. But I also have to say, Lord, and remind myself all the time. Yes, I might be the founding pastor of 17 years, but 17 years to me seems like seven years. We've gone through so much, haven't we? God's showed himself. We've lived by faith. We've, we've walked this journey by faith. But if God is calling you today, you need to surrender to that. You need to humble yourself before him. And will you do that today? God brought you here. You're here for that reason. You need to trust him. And the struggles might be real. And the circumstances might be real. I want you to know that God is in control. And this morning, if you don't even know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to come to the saving grace of Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you need to rededicate your life back to Christ. Maybe for some of you, you've never been baptized. You need to say, here I am. I surrender. I'm going to be baptized. I had a young couple that was in my office this past week. And I'll say this. It was awesome. I was counseling them, and I looked dead in the eye, and I said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? They said, no. Oh, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? They said, no. I said, you two are getting married. You need to be equally yoked. You need to know Jesus in his fullness and in his power. And they said, okay. You know, and I love when people say, I want a deeper, meaningful relationship with Jesus. Well, that starts with knowing Jesus. So I said, well, let me tell you. Let me show you. So they, back here in the hub, they bowed their head. And they, for the first time, listen, how cool is this? They've never prayed together. And they've never held hands together and prayed. So I said, squeeze a little closer. 
hold hands and let's pray together. And they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? Because they had to humble themselves. They had to say, you know what? We don't know everything, but we know the God who is faithworthy. And I know for some of you in the room, you've probably been going through some hardship and trying to live by faith and saying, life just doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't. I know. I've been there. But I want you to know, I want you to put your faith and trust in a Savior who can deliver you from it. Let's rise to our feet as we pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for a great book of a man, of a prophet, who said, here I am. You gave him a vision. You said, write it down on a tablet. Write it down on a scroll. Whatever it is, Lord, you were able to use him, let him see the power of God. God, that same power lives in us. And today, may you reveal yourself to us. May we lay it at the foot of the cross. May we come to you and lay our burdens down. Father, we cry out to you, Lord, and we ask that you will help us because we believe that you're the living hope. We know that there's hope and then there's faith. And Lord, we put all of our trust in you. God, there might even be a couple here today that's struggling. Maybe they're struggling as, as couples. Maybe they're struggling financially or emotionally or mentally. Maybe they just need to say, God, here I am. We just lay it down. We give it to you. God, thank you that in Habakkuk's life and in his story, he found faith. And he needed to live by faith, even though it didn't make sense. Why were they doing this again? Why were they sacrificing to false idols and focusing on things that are not important in the kingdom? So, Father, today, everything that we do, may we glorify you, may we honor you. Father, may it be for the kingdom. Father, help us to fall deep in love with you. Help us to worship you and to praise you. Father, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for your love. You are faithworthy. Thank you for that you are just and that you are righteous. Father, help us all to achieve to be better in our walk and in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray.